All right. So that's what God's calls to do. And I do appreciate so much my wife uh, being a godly lady who would go with us on this journey. And she didn't ask for this. She didn't want to marry me, but she had to. I made, <laughs> I, uh, made a deal with her father. And so, uh, no, I did not. Uh, I gave him a few chickens and uh, 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 access to the family fortune. And so I got the, I got the daughter. Um, but no, then the Lord calls to this, and so we left local church, pastoring ultimately to, uh, to travel and to do all this that God has calls to do. Uh, we're getting uh, calls. Um, we don't get calls every day, but we, uh, we get them, and people call in, and they just don't know what to do. And so um, we're glad that we, there's a fundamental solution to, to, to this struggle and not just um, general preaching. Uh, it's like if you go to a doctor, and you know, not every doctor is just a family doctor or your primary physician. There are specialists, right? And uh, there's hand specialists and foot specialists and all sorts of things. And sometimes you need um, direct help in certain areas that are more than just general. Even the Bible treats sexual sin in a different way than other sins. First Corinthians talks about every other sin that a person commits is outside the body, but uh, fornication is a sin against his own body. Um, uh, Proverbs chapter 6 says, by this sin, a man can be brought to a piece of bread. doesn't say that about any other sin. And it's one of two or three sins where it says a person who does this destroys their own soul. So it's a, it's a, a unique challenge, and we're glad for it. Uh, if you're a lady and you also would like some help, my wife is available, and uh, we can help um, counsel and give you direction. I would encourage... We don't talk about it here, but uh, fathers to consider going through the program with your sons. It would be very helpful. It would draw you together and give you an opportunity, a springboard to talk about things that you're probably not just going to talk about in the average run of the day. So it, it, the, the, uh, the material does the heavy lifting and allows conversations to be healthy about just uh, what the besetting sin might be and how to get help in Jesus. And... Um, so, by the way, we do have a, we may be running out, and if so, we can get more. We have a resource guide on the back table. It's just an eight-and-a-half by, eight by 11 piece of paper, blue and white, and it does talk about resources that parents can have to, uh, to begin conversations and to have conversations to have good resources from ages. It starts, I think, at five and goes on up. There's a grid across the top that has the youngest age, and then it goes to about 18-plus, and as the grid goes across, it gets darker in color because that means things get more serious as you, longer you wait. Um, and so, but then, then broken down, it gives these age brackets that um, child doctors or psychologists, stuff like this kind of teach us that there are breaks, there, there are differences between obviously a child who's five and a child who's eight. And, and they, so there's time frames in their life that um, certain books are appropriate. And so we mentioned these books, you might want to take a look at it, we can make more copies. Uh, or we'll have more if, if we run out. But it might be good resources for you to, to look at and say, oh, my, my child is 11. What do they recommend for an 11-year-old girl or boy uh, as a good resource to get? We don't sell most of them, but we do. We have done the vetting of it. Um, so, okay. Well, uh, I do want to uh, jump into tonight the, uh, the, that which the Lord has brought our way. You have a handout there. And if you could, if you turn your Bibles, please, to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. Again, it's been a thrill to be here. It's great to get to know uh, some of you dear folks here that are, some of you have been here for a long time. I keep meeting people who have been here just uh, a much shorter time. And um, we are thrilled that the Lord is uh, bringing new people in and raising up a work here. And then I see a... a it looks like you're raising funds for a new, a new building or an add-on, an additional building uh, to expand. That is tremendous. That is tremendous. And so um, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And uh, so hopefully we'll see you all down the road at some point um, at a Chicago Cubs baseball game or something if you're a Cub fan. And does, is anyone a Cub fan here? Oh, this church needs revival badly. Oh, you are. Okay. So... Uh, if you're a St. Louis Cardinal fan, you need to hit the altar as soon as the service is over, all right? Um, I can't say much about uh, the Tigers. I don't really know how they're doing this year, 
but I did listen to a game yesterday on the way home from the camp. I was literally falling asleep, and I turned on, and the only channel I could get sounded like it was the Catholic channel or, or the Tigers game. And so I stuck with the Catholic channel. No, I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I went to the Tigers game. I didn't know any names of the players, except one guy sounded like someone who used to play for St. Louis and Carpenter, and, you know, and I heard these names, but the guy was good. Whoever the play-by-play guy was, he was good. Sounded interesting, and they were beating the Boston Red Sox which is Sonia's background, uh, her team, that's where she's from. So uh, I had to convert her when she got married, but, um, but that's what I heard. So God bless you. Um, all right, John chapter number six, or John chapter number five. And I want you to look here at a, at a passage that uh, Jesus, he is going to Bethesda, or goes by the pool of Bethesda, in the first part of the chapter, John 5, 2. Now, there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is um, called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. And in these lay a great multitude of infinite folk, blind, it mentions them blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water, Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. And Jesus, when he saw him lie and knew that he had now been a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I'm coming, another step it down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, and took up his bed, and walked, and on the same day was the Sabbath. But I want to draw your attention uh, to verse number six. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time, time in that state, he said, saith, wilt thou be made whole. Um, every one of us can find ourselves, as we get older, baffled by the fact that we can be a long time in a situation that we struggle with. Your, your particular hang-up may not be the demographic that God has called us to, to help people with their thought life and and dealing with pornography and sexual sin and things like this but everybody here in this room does have a besetting sin you do have something even if you don't want to admit it that you do struggle with more than you struggle with other things okay so i'm just gonna because i really like church to actually be a place that's real uh in a minute here i'm gonna ask you to raise your hand if what i just said was true that all of us have something where we have more of a struggle with in that area than we tend to in other areas. In other words, we tend to be weaker or more susceptible or that has been a challenge for us over the years. And you can maybe think back to when you were 14. Let's say you have a problem with anger and you can remember distinctly getting mad at a person or thing or getting in trouble for being angry. And now you're 40 and you still are finding yourself an angry person or at least that's uh, an area that you struggle with, all right? So I'm going to ask you to raise your hand here in a second, okay? If you would agree to the fact that we all struggle with something in some category, could be a couple things really, but we'll just go with one because I think it is one. We're weaker in some areas than we are in others. Would you agree with that statement? Could you raise your hand? Okay, all right, it's true. So as we go through this material tonight, it's not a preaching, preaching message, but it's got a lot of scripture in it. But as we go through the material here tonight, I hope that you'll think about what you struggle with because what you, need to struggle, what you need to get free from is whatever your struggle is. This man was a man who could not walk, and he had now been a long time in that state. Can you go with me to Luke chapter number 8? Luke chapter number 8. Luke chapter number 8, and we'll look at 
uh, verse number 27. And they, verse 26, they arrived at the country of the Gadarenes, which is over against Galilee. And when he went forth to land, Jesus, there met him out of the city a certain man which had devils long time. And wear no clothes, neither board, abode in any house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him with a loud voice, said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God, most high? I beseech thee, torment me not. And, of course, the spirit is the one that's recognizing who he's talking to. The man would not have known this total stranger was Jesus, the Son of God Most High. But, again, look at verse number 27. The certain man which had devils long time. Now, I don't think that besetting sin is created by demon possession. But it shows that Jesus also had to deal with people and did deal with people who a long time were struggling or messed up with their sin. We're going to be looking here at why, or how we find freedom. I actually have material on how we get trapped, and then I have this material on how we get out or how we find freedom. And uh, we won't be doing the material tonight on how we get trapped. If you're ever interested in that, um, you know, let me know or something, or you can hear it maybe online. I'm not sure or get a hold of us, maybe we can uh, do something about that, not sure. Um, but I do want to give you a cycle of sin, all right? Um, I want to give you a cycle on how people, how sin tends to work, and then we'll get into the notes here in a little bit. So these are not part of your notes. So if, you're, if you want to take down this cycle, um, there are six parts to this cycle, all right, about how sin is cyclical and how the addiction process works. So um, a lot of times people don't want to say they're addicted to something when actually they don't know if they're addicted. But you have the same signs of addiction um, that would be almost a, could be almost a clinical addiction where you continue to do the same things over and over again, and, but you're going to say, well, I'm not addicted. I just, you know, I just people irritate me or whatever. So that's why I get so, you know, upset with them. You know, I'm not addicted to explosive anger. Um, maybe you're here and you have a, a problem with worry and you can say, I don't, I'm not addicted to, to worry, which is basically fear. And, uh, you know, but so we don't use the addiction always, but we, we do tend to gloss things over. But let me just give you um, these six steps in the temptation cycle uh, and maybe even an addiction cycle, I guess you could call it that way too. At the top of the circle would just be the word temptation, okay? So a temptation comes along. We don't have this on, on PowerPoint. Uh, a temptation comes along, and um, that is going to be a choice, a person. All of us are going to face temptation, but you don't have to give in to temptation. Even Jesus was tempted, so temptation is not a sin, as we know, because Jesus was tempted, but um, yeah, without sin. So then what happens is the, the next one down, so... So you would go probably uh, clockwise, right, um, with the next box. And there are six boxes. So, you know, somewhere around the, um, you know, the 2 o'clock uh, position, um, you could say, is the acting out, okay? It's the, the sin uh, where you do, you know, the, the, the thing that you know is grieving to the Lord. I mean, it could be uh, spending habits. It could be eating habits. Um, <clears throat> it could be... Uh, sleeping too much, you know, whatever it is, the, uh, but the acting out, as you would say, the, the behavior is right there. Um, then down at about, <clears throat> you know, 25 after or so, the 5 o'clock uh, position would be the shame of the guilt and the regret. Okay, and I hope this kind of just sets you up with, and, um, you know, a little bit of clarity on, on the cycle. Um, so the shame and the guilt and the regret is nearing the bottom of, uh, of the whole thing. So you're tempted, you give in. Box number three is that you feel terrible about it. You grieve the Lord. Uh, maybe you hurt your testimony at work because you, you, know, you feel you uh, shouldn't have laughed at that joke that was uh, not appropriate. Or um, you're, you're part of the gossip at, at work and, and you realize like, man, I should not have you know, stabbed that coworker in the back and agreeing that she, she calls off a lot, but she's not really that sick because someone saw her at the bank that day or something. And so there's all this chatter and all this junk that goes on. And uh, can I just throw this in? This is not my message, but 
if we are part of the office gossip, if we're part of the whole water cooler idea of just kind of talking about everybody and the management stinks and we don't get paid enough and, and so and so and this and this and this and this, okay? Um, as a Christian, you can't do that. Can I get an amen on that? You can't, you can't be a part of that. Even if it's true, you can't be a part of it. You just have to find somewhere else to be. Just read your Bible. If, if everyone's talking that way in the break room, just read your Bible. They'll probably tend to leave you alone. In fact, you might end up being the only one in the break room, <laughs> okay? Because there'll be like some weirdos in there. Um, and, uh, but I will say, if you're a part of the whole office gossip thing, okay, or the place you work, um, do you know what, when you're not there, they're talking about you? So be careful, little mouth, what you say. Because you'll notice that when one of them's not there, that was part of the in-group. When they're not there, they talk about them. There's no loyalty out there. So you don't want to lose your testimony, but you feel bad then that you did, okay? Or that, that you said what you did or that type of thing. So the bottom then of the temptation cycle or the addiction cycle would be repentance. Repentance. And here's where also I have repentance slash commitments, okay? This is where a person says to the Lord, I'm not going to do that anymore. Um, I shouldn't have, you know, um, spent all night watching, you know, that Netflix series and watching series, uh, you know, season one through 12 in one, one day, you know. And um, so now you're going to like, I'm going to cut back. I'm only going to do one season every day, not 12 seasons a day. All right. And uh, so, but you feel bad at, at, at different levels. And, um, and hopefully there's real repentance there. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But nevertheless, these are where commitments are made. This, you can see this in the life of your kids as well, parents. Then as we come up the, uh, the, the, the far side um, at about what? The, um, I'm trying to think of my clock here. Um, I guess it would be like, um, you know, 8 o'clock or something. Um, all you could put in there if you want to do it is just this word, time passes. <laughs> time, a time element, okay? Then the next one, all right, coming up, heading toward the top of the clock, the, the next to the last box, is what we call small, unwise decisions. Small, unwise decisions. All right, so SUDs. So we have temptation at the top, and so then it comes back around to temptation. So a temptation starts it out, then a person gives in, they, they say those words. I had a guy the other day say to me, you know, pray for me, I, I tend to say these bad words. And, and you would not know this guy, he's at church all the time in our church, and you would not know that he's got a problem with his language. But apparently when he's out and about, you know, he's in a world where people are, um, you know, saying God's name in vain or saying four-letter words or whatever, and he tends to kind of pick that up. He's not trying to, he's a, he's a good-hearted guy. But he's got, he said, I have a problem with my mouth. So the temptation comes, then the, the action, then the shame, feeling really bad, then at the bottom is the repentance or the commitments and, and come back to the Lord. And, and we're not saying it's disingenuous, but that's, that'd be First John 1, 9 down, down there at the bottom. And then some time passes. And then often, depending on the type of sin, small and wise decisions that kind of get you back in the ballpark. And um, guys who will jump online and they would say, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to watch stuff that's bad, and um, I'm done with that. It makes me feel terrible. Or a lady, you know, uh, looking at things or reading things that are not appropriate. And then, so time passes, and then they just one day, they're kind of online, and then they, you know, they're just checking the news or they're checking their email or something legitimate, and they say, I'm just going to kind of going to go over there and look at, and they go to the website that it has, it's not the sin, but it's the, it's the road. And um, small and wise decisions. And the temptation comes around again and they fall. I will add one more. Okay, I will add one more to this. Now, this is, the, is a, something that I really hope will be a help to someone. And reach out to us if we can help you with this. There, is, there are different ways of looking at the addiction cycle. Uh, but I want to throw one in here, really at the top where temptation is. There is also a problem. Now, this is, I'm not hammering this, just so stay with me. In fact, tonight, again, it's not so much preaching. It's kind of a, 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 a teaching uh, situation tonight. But sometimes, let's say your temptation is you tend to get easily discouraged or depressed. Okay? We haven't talked about that yet tonight. 
But let's just say that you all raise your hand about something, but let's say you're kind of prone to that. Okay, I'm going to try to help you here with, with um, maybe this will help you with something that you wouldn't think about. At the top of the whole thing, and maybe in temptation it would have to make a little bit of room for this, is something that you may not be aware of, and I'm going to call it negative core beliefs. Can you write that down? Negative core beliefs. In other words, you could be a person that has negative core beliefs about yourself that are not, not what God wants you to have. We're not saying it's sinful. We're not saying you're a bad person for having bad thoughts about who you are and things like this. But people can legitimately think, I'm a failure. I never can do anything right. My life is never going to get straightened out. Nobody really loves me as much, you know, I'm, I'm lo unlovable or I'm not good enough to be accepted by God or I don't deserve good things or, um, you know, um, I might have some good things, but then something's going to happen and take it away, you know, or people always end up, you know, more successful than I do. Look at the people in the church, they have a house, I don't have a house now, or, or they have this, or I don't, you know, and uh, what we can do is before we even get out of the gate, we can have negative core beliefs about things that I'm not going to make it or, um, you know, I've always been a failure or uh, I'm not uh, attractive or people don't really like me, they put up with me or the pastor doesn't care or the people at church, just, you know, all these things. And my sister or brother, can I just say to you, um, please, um, the only thing that's going to help you is you're going to have to ask God to help you get an understanding of his love for you. His love for you and his acceptance of you. You are as accepted as his son is. You're accepted in the beloved. But if you have negative core beliefs about yourself, you're, you're almost defeated before you get out of bed. In fact, you'll have the thoughts maybe before you even get out of bed. And then as the cycle starts, the temptation, and then you act out, all it does, it confirms what you were saying. See, I'm a failure again. I always have been. And so I might as well stop trying. And the devil loves that. He would love for you to just kind of give up the fight. Because it doesn't matter anyway, no matter what you do, it has never reduced the problem or changed the outcome. All right, just a little bit of some things that were not in the notes. And again, if we can help you, this is all sorts of stuff that we're um, <coughs> trying to help people with. And um, next week we go to a singles situation and uh, try to help the singles there. And, there. and there can be in a singles life. I was single for many years of my life. And... Um, uh, it, you can have negative beliefs about yourself as a person or about your general state of happiness and how you won't be happy, um, you know, because this and this and this can't be happy and self-defeating thoughts. So um, but I can't touch on how to all solve it all, uh, but uh, a lot of it comes down to understanding God's love for you and his faithfulness to you and um, his wisdom and that... Um, a plan he's got, a master plan, that's tremendous. And uh, just a number of things here that are not just doctrine. It's, it's helpful stuff. that God can pull you up out of the slough of despond. Okay, take your notes if you would, please. How we find freedom from sin. This is traits of those who experience breakthrough. Now, the, the first line is going to be about our situation. But again, I want you to, to be aware that uh, we won't be talking about this uh, basically, except for the very front of this. Um, one authority on sexual addiction says that most men never get out of sexual addiction. All right, so again, sometimes I've done this with pastors or with, uh, with men and just trying to help them understand how it works. So we use this at the beginning, but again, whatever your struggle is, that's what you want to put down there. Now, if you, don't, if you find that you're living in victory over what used to be a struggle of yours, then let this be a help to you to, to know how to help other people, okay? Because I'm going to give you a roadmap to help someone find freedom, okay? These are traits of people who experience breakthrough, all right? So if you're someone who's in ministry or you're someone who counsels or someone who's working with maybe a new Christian, whatever it is, there could be things that you can look for to understand where they are in the journey. 
Because if you don't understand the big journey, you might not be able to help them. All you can say is, how'd you do this week, uh, sister, with uh, the thing you're struggling with? And she'll be like, well, you know, I had a couple good days and I fell and I had a bad day in, in, you know, in the area of the thing I'm struggling with, some type of, you know, a chemical addiction or, or uh, you know, hanging out with the wrong friends. Whatever. I mean, it could be as very stuff, stuff like this. And, and you don't know where to do, to do except like say, um, well, I'll pray for you. You know, you know, you don't have to do that, right? And you had a good week last week. Why'd you fall this week? Okay? And you won't really know what to do. I'm trying to help people know what to do, where they're at, how to get out. We can find out how to get in just by a number of choices, but how do we find freedom? So one authority says, most men never get out. So if you're struggling with a thought problem, an, uh, an actual thought problem, and you're looking at media that's not right, or you're gorging on things that are not right, and you're, uh, there's fantasy involved and this type of stuff, okay? This man, I don't know him personally, I've, I've, I've uh, corresponded with him, he's got a large ministry to help men and women, and there was a day where he said he was sitting in his living room, and it dawned on him what is true, and from his experience, from sexual addiction for 20 years, he said this, he realized most men never get out. And I think that's a true statement. But I will say one more. I think most people never get out of their besetting sin either. I think most people take their besetting sin to their grave. Maybe you're materialistic. Okay? Whatever it is, I mean, these things don't change just because you go to a church service. At some point, the next phrase, at some point, God has to truly intervene in a person's life after salvation or else they will never break through from the Romans 7, Romans 7 experience. In other words, what I call wilderness wanderings. Now, wilderness wanderings is not mentioned in Romans 7. The Israelites are not in Romans chapter 7, but the experience is there. That is, their sanctification in particular areas will get stalled in defeat. So the point is, is that you can be trapped. In Romans 7 is where Paul says that the things he's not wanting to do is the things he ends up doing, okay? And you get a lot of help from the end of Romans chapter 7. It's a, it's, a, it's a big deal. But what we find out in Romans 6 is that, now I'm not expecting like an amen on this. I'm just telling you. In Romans 6, we find out that we are dead to sin. Have you heard that before? <laughs> okay, I'm sure you've heard a lot of teaching on sanctification truth. We're dead to sin, all right? Now, if that doesn't do anything for you, that's okay. I mean, I'm not saying you're going to be like, oh, I know that in experience, I feel it. No, you're probably not going to feel it. But it is true anyway in God's mind. But what's interesting is Paul is the same, the same person who wrote Romans 6, the same person who wrote Romans 7. So you can be dead to sin, Romans 6, and trapped in sin, Romans 7. And the question is, what are you going to do? Because they're both experiences. They're both reality at that point. So, what it takes to get out. Number one, what it takes to get out of besetting sin. Number one, desperate need. Desperate need. As I already said in the previous, uh, the very top second paragraph at some point, God has to truly intervene in a person's life. I do believe it. I believe there has to be uh, an encounter, as it were, with God at different times in the journey, and sometimes, some of these are going to be big, all right? So as I said this week at camp, you don't get out of a backslidden state, you don't get out of it by taking small steps. You get out of it by taking big steps. You get into it by small steps. You get out of it by serious action. And the only way you're going to take serious action is if you feel you have a desperate need. This is not just acknowledgement or awareness of a problem. This is not just being convinced that the thing is wrong. All right, so parents, I'm going to try to help you here. Right now, you're going to start seeing in your kids, you may see it even in your adult kids and things like this, but you're going to see, especially when they're young, 12, 13, 14, or whatever, you're going to start seeing patterns, all right? And I think if you're aware of it uh, or ahead of it, you're going to realize they may struggle with this for the next 20, 30 years, just like you can remember when you were 14, all right? So you got to get out ahead of it. You got to know, well, how can I help them? I'm already starting to see. 
My daughter wakes, I'm not saying my daughter, my, let's say your daughter, my daughter, wakes up grumpy in the morning. All right? Well, is that a trait of the Holy Spirit? Grumpiness. That's not a good thing. And it shouldn't be tolerated. And it can't be, well, she just, you know, didn't get much sleep. Well, why is she grumpy on the day she gets lots of sleep, you know? Um, and so what you've got to realize is this could be a besetting sin for her that's, that's starting to grow here. She's being selfish early in the morning when she's not fully awake and hasn't, you know, had, had uh, you know, Starbucks like your, the adults get, all right? And uh, can I preach on Starbucks tonight or is that kind of awful limits? Okay, I don't know. Um, but the, the thing is that sometimes we feel like we've got we've to have, you know, um, the reason I yelled at my husband is because I didn't have my coffee yet. Oh, really? Oh, okay, great. So this is what we can see in our 11-year-olds that they have these, these things that they do that, uh, that they're gonna, it's going gonna, it's gonna to stay with them if they're allowed to do it, okay? But the way they get out of it is not just being convinced they're wrong or they shouldn't do the behavior. They have to have a real need to get out of it. They have to say, I am desperate for this. It's not something they say, perhaps, but something that they feel. They have to feel it's a critical issue. This is where help comes from. In, in Hebrews 4, it talks about you can go before the throne and you can find grace to help in time of need. I'm going to give you a definition of grace. You know what grace is? This is just, I mean, I'm not saying this theologically holds up to everything, but you know what grace is? Grace is help in time of need. Hebrews 4.16 says, come before the throne and you find grace to help in time of need. Grace is God helping you in the time of your need. And if we don't think we have a need to get out of the sin that we're in, we're not going to get out. Because he doesn't, he's not going to come to help us he says he gives grace to help in time of need. If we're kind of like, I don't have a need, people are the problem, I'm not the problem. See where I'm going with this? Sometimes men can get involved with sexual sin because their wife is not responding to them correctly in their mind. So they justify it. And as long as they want to justify it, then they don't have a desperate need. If you were saved later in life, the way to overcome habits that you had later th that have formed before you even got saved, which would be very deeply entrenched, is to ask God to bring you to a place of desperate need. Because that's the first step on getting out. And you don't want to say, well, you know, at least I'm doing better than I was. Well, that's good too, but, but we want to come to the place where we're like the man at the pool of Bethesda and says, there's an angel that comes down and, and, and does the water thing and and uh, the problem is, I can't get there. And, and, and you know, I don't even know if that actually happens. Maybe someone can correct me afterwards. Um, well, I don't know if it was part legend or how often it happened. Maybe it only happened once every 75 years. We're not told much about that whole thing. But the man was hoping against hope that if that happened, but then at the same time it was hopeless. Because for one, it hardly ever happened. And then, apparently, and then someone else would step down before me because he had no man. And Jesus comes to him and realized he'd been that way in a, long, in a long time in that state. And man, this man was desperate because it was the whole idea of healing was mocking him. Because other people were getting healed and he wasn't. The whole thing was just like rubbing his face in it, as I mentioned at another time. Until you realize, see, so what God wants to see out of heaven, he wants to see me and you in desperate need. Can I get an amen on that? He loves to help people in desperate need. All right, desperate need. You have to be desperate. You have to, don't think you need a few tweaks here and there. The devil's working to keep you in your sin. You have an entire culture that's working to keep you in the wrong place. The hope of a person, you could write this down, is in his desperateness. This is the person that God is stripping away at his or her self-reliance, their self-trust, their self-hope. The person is beginning to see himself or herself in his true state. That the problem is not just on the surface, but that the problem is inside. So I'm going to say a bunch of things here. Write down what you want to or just get the recording later. And what I'm saying here is this. A man who is not desperate about his problem, whether it be the way he talks to his wife or be about the way that he's a workaholic or the way that he is selfish in the home, all right? A man who's not desperate, he may say this. I'm on my way to getting better, though. And this is what I say, from working with men for years, I say this, 
Unless a man has a desperate need, talking to men here, you're not on your way to getting better. Tomorrow is not going to be better if things stay the same. The problem is too long standing. The problem is too deep. The history of yourself is too littered with the proof that real change is not possible in and of yourselves, yourself. And one thing has to happen. You have to realize Jeremiah 13, 13, Jeremiah 13, 23, the Lord says to the prophet, can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then may ye also do good that are accustomed to do evil. You can't change yourself. There is no self-salvation. It's going to come through desperate need. Let me ask you this. How many can remember where you were when you got saved or the time frame when you got saved? Can you raise your hand? Good day, huh? Okay, now let me ask you. Did you just kind of, um, like, just one day just said, nah, you know, I don't have to get saved today, but I might as well. Lord, save me. Or was it a crisis situation? Did you come to the Lord and you, were des you needed help big time, right? Is anybody with me? You can just be like, oh, Lord, save me. Um, that is cool. I want to go to heaven instead of hell. That's cool. No, you never got saved, but that's the way it was. All right? God meets people at the cross. And people need him. Desperate need. You get saved when you need someone beside yourself. So you could write this down. God is working to bring us out by bringing us down. That's what he's doing. He's working to bring us out of our struggle by bringing us down. I say this, the broken down break free. And they're the only ones that break free. All right. I had an eye doctor say to me, I have a Christian eye doctor. He's a good guy. He's not an independent Baptist, but he loves the Lord, and he's a great guy. I'm glad I found him. And, um, and he has a really good sense of, and again, I think he walks with God, and he's involved in ministry and this type of stuff. And he was talking to me one time about my vision, and apparently my vision is there's some things that, that uh, he's been watching for a while that could go a certain direction. He's concerned about it. And he says this, that if you start seeing this or this happen, you know, you got to get in here fast. And I'm having regular appointments. I think I have one in two weeks again. And he says this, and this is what he said. If you lose the vision through glaucoma or whatever, if you lose the vision, you will not get it back by any human means. That's what he says. And it's interesting he said that because he, he's a believer that God can do miracles. <laughs> it's interesting. Huh? And, uh, and he says, but if you lose the vision, you're not getting it back by any human means. In other words, once you lose this part of your sight, it, it goes... But it was interesting that he said, he didn't say you can't get it back. He just said, the point is, if God's not going to do it at that point, you know. And that's what I'm saying to all of us. We have to be desperate because the desperate break free. It's because God is attracted to desperate people. All right, number two. Number two, the second one is, let me grab my notes here. Destroyed confidence. Destroyed confidence. Destroyed confidence, what are, we, what are we talking about here? Well, we're talking about in your own ability to fix yourself. You could use the words discarded confidence or deserted confidence. I have to get to the place where I realize that if this is going to happen, it's not going to happen because of me. This is bringing a person to the end of self-reliance. This abandoning your own resources to fix yourself. This is the opposite of self-confidence, self-sufficiency, doing it your way. This is the man by the pool of Bethesda for 38 years in John 5, 2-9. Look at the verse there at the bottom of the first page, Isaiah 40, 29. He giveth power to the faint, and look what I have underlined. Can you read that with me? And to them that have no might, he increases strength. Isn't that a great verse? That one phrase, to them that have no might, he increases strength. All right, so you have to have a place of where you realize, I, I don't have the ability to, to pull myself out of this. We have to say that with our kids. I don't have the ability to fix my son or daughter, even if I, if I do appropriate uh, you know, uh, discipline and this type of stuff. I can't change their heart. I can, I can move in that direction. But this has to be where ultimately God's doing this work and uh, to the place they get to where they realize that even their own disobedience or, uh, towards you or whatever 
is, uh, is something that is beyond ultimately their own ability to fix themselves completely. They can still obey by God's grace, but they can't obey over the long haul without God's grace, and we have to keep pointing them back to you need someone bigger than yourself. Me helping myself is actually makes me more in the hole and um, more de deficient. All right, the top of the next page, John 15, 4. I love this. Well-known verses. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. It, it dawned on me one time, just recently, someone was quoting this, and, it, and the, the phrase, cannot bear fruit of itself. It just stuck with me. Cannot bear fruit. I cannot bear fruit of myself. I cannot bear fruit in myself. I cannot bear fruit of myself unless I abide. So the fruit of being free, the fruit of having a Christ-like life in that area that I struggle with, I cannot bear fruit of myself. God has made us incapable to solve our spiritual problems on our own. Isn't that amazing? That's actually what he's done. This is what God, the creator of the world, has done. He's made us incapable to solve our spiritual problems on our own. Zechariah 4, 6, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, say it, the Lord of hosts. All right? So, Pastor Barber can stand up here and preach his heart out about change that's needed and, uh, and try to help you or help your family and help you to think scripturally and all sort of thing. And, and, and that's his job, and that's what he's supposed to do. But what we have to do is realize that we are incapable, and God has made us this way, incapable to solve our spiritual problems on our own. Even when we're presented with the truth, we're incapable of applying it and living it out without God doing amazing things. Can I get an amen on that? This is not about self-discipline. This is not about commitments. This is about God doing for me in my incapacity. We talked about Sarah this morning. Sarah had an inability to have children. And we are not to blame where we have inability. You know where we're blamed? When we don't turn to God for his ability in that situation. It is faith. So you might have a real deficiency based on the way you were raised or the, the, your background or things that have happened to you earlier in your life or, or things about your, your past or your parents and, and, and all sorts of things. We're not, to be, we're not to be blamed for our inability to pull off that which we know we need to do in a different way. We are to blame if we don't go to the person who has the ability. All right, I'm just repeating it. I just want to encourage you. Look to the Lord to do what is impossible for you to do consistently over the long haul in a way where God's going to get the glory for this. Just tell him, I'm unable to do all these things I'm supposed to do. You know, how many messages, Brother Barber, have you preached here? Do you know? Why you've been here? Five. Five since you've been here? <laughs> okay. <laughs> it was a little bit more than that, but if he preached five messages, you know, every one of those messages probably has a point to it that, you know, do this or, or look to Jesus here or go there or give up that, you know, whatever the focus might be, you know, like we need revival, so seek God for revival or we need to have better marriages or we need to have better attitudes and, and uh, we need to be in our Bible, all these sort of things. The question is this, if you wanted to get totally right with God tomorrow, where would you start? Which point would you start with? Those of you who have been saved for a while, you've heard literally thousands of messages in your life, haven't you? The question is this, which point do you start? Because every, every message a pastor has like three points, and they're all like really important, like the most important message supposedly in the history of the world. What are you supposed to, where are you supposed to start? What about the message last month that was the most important one in the history of the world? You know where you have to start? You have to start by saying, I can't live this life I'm supposed to live. <laughs> you got to do it all, or I'm going to be the biggest failure ever was saved, you know? All right, number three. Deep return to God. Deep return to God. A deep return to God, this is repentance, this is brokenness, this is the real beginning point. You must turn and face your issue, your issues, and the issue that God is speaking to you about. This is where God is bringing you to, a deep return to God. God actually is not just concerned with you getting over your besetting sin. He is interested in all of you. 
You can write down Joel 2, 12 to 13. Therefore also now saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart, and with fasting, with weeping, with mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments, and turn to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. You must face the issue that you need to come back to God in a deep way. Not somewhat, a deep way. Uh, Julia, Julia, can you come up here for a second? This is my daughter, Julia. How you doing, honey? Are you scared that I called you up here? Yeah, okay. Let's say Julia is um, having uh, a struggle with something in her life where she's disobeying me or she's, she's fighting with her brother a lot and um, she usually, when she does, she usually wins the fight, um, and, uh, cause she bites and stuff, and it's not fair, but it is kind of fun to watch the, my son scream, um, and, uh, so let's say I talk to her, and I'm saying, Julia, you know, you gotta stop fighting, and, and she kind of agrees with that, but I realize her heart is really not with me, and the question is, do I want to see the, the obedience, or do I want, do I want something more than that? I want all of her, don't I? I want her to deeply return to her, the right relationship with her parents. My son, give me thine heart. I want, I, want, I want all of her to be right with her dad and mom and with her brother and with God. And all, if all she does is say, okay, I'll stop trying to beat up on Micah and jump on his bed early in the morning when he's not awake yet and, and uh, hit him with a baseball bat and this type of stuff, I'm glad, saves me some doctor bills. But um, what I want is for her not to just to kind of give up the sin or say she will, if I realize there's something going on in her heart, I want her to, to be all right. Amen? And that may take more than just her responding to the sin that I'm talking to her about, where she begins to realize there's much more than what dad sees. I got a bad attitude. I'm doing stuff behind his back. I hang out with friends and we talk bad and do this. I'm hiding some sin and stuff. And a deep return to God is where I'm done pointing out things. I think she's okay. And she comes and says, Dad, I want you to know there's other things going on. I just want to be right with you guys and right with God and a deep return. See, because this is what God's looking for. He says, my son, give me your heart. He wants us to love him with all of our heart. When, when the, when the um, scribe asked him what is the great commandment in all the law, the creator of the world has a chance to give the most important commandment in all the law, and guess what he says? He doesn't say the great command is obey me. He says the great command is what? Love me. He could have said obey me is the great command, but he wants more than just outward. He wants inward, amen? And, and this is what I want for her. This is what God wants from us. Thank you. We'll go by McDonald's later. Deep return to God. Repentance is taking the reality of my state and my sin and getting it to the Lord. I am absolutely wrong. No one to blame except myself. I come to you for cleansing and changing. Number four, direct spiritual help. Direct spiritual help. Direct spiritual help is there needs to be a uh, uh, direct spiritual help, not just, you know, general, okay? Again, it's like the specialist in, a, in, a, in the medical world, something where you're going specific, specific help. Okay, A, continual spiritual input. Continual spiritual input. Here's some things that I've just put down uh, that apply. Continual spiritual input. Feeding on the word, meditation, preaching, scripture, memory, okay? You're going to have to, you won't be spiritual without spiritual input. Just like your car is not going to run without gas, okay? God has so made it that we cannot function spiritually without spiritual input. So it's going to have to be continual. So if you're here today and, and you know, next week you might not be here because, you know, you got a family barbecue and the next week after that, you know, you're on vacation or whatever and you kind of play at church, whatever, um, you're not going to go very far because there's not continual spiritual input, all right? I don't know anyone has in that state, but I, I'm just saying. Okay, I heard that... Um, um, no, I didn't hear that. Okay. Um, forget what I was going to say. Direct spiritual help, letter B, ongoing discipleship. Ongoing discipleship, specifically related to sexual purity in this case. Okay, I think you need to get someone who's going to help you specifically with this. Ongoing discipleship. Letter C, a genuine walk with others while on the journey to recovery. It's important. You've got to be involved with other people. Uh, a genuine walk with others while on the journey to recovery. The Bible talks about 
uh, in the Bible that, you know, you're supposed to follow after these things with other people, and, and you're supposed to get involved uh, with other people who are also walking, perhaps their own journey uh, may not be about the problem you have. So, um, general walk with others. The continual letter A, continual spiritual input, you could write down Psalm 119, 130, the interest of thy words giveth light, okay? So you're gonna ha you want light on the path to understand your problem and um, inner uh, nuances there. So continually being in the words gonna give you light. The ongoing discipleship is there uh, because people need reinforcement, okay? You need reinforcement with new ways of thinking about stuff and acting. Uh, genuine walk with others. Second Timothy, here's my verse. Second Timothy 2.22. Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. All right? So with others. All right, letter D, a God-dependent focus to daily deal with root problems. All right, so here we, we deal with quickly root problems. We won't go into it. We have a whole session in our material about this. The reason we do what we do is uh, there's three root problems. They are, not in any given order, selfishness, pride, and not trusting God. We call it unbelief. Not trusting God actually is the big granddaddy sin, uh, but um, selfishness and pride. So, lady, woman of God, if you're here today and you're saved and you're trying to deal with uh, 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 a problem that you know is not glorifying to God, all right, there's something behind the problem, um, and it's going to be these three things, all right? Selfishness is in play. Pride is in play, not trusting God. Not trusting God, would solve, trusting God would solve all of it. God doesn't lose battles he's brought into. You bring him into your battle, you win. You leave him out of your battle, you'll lose, all right? Letter E, personal accountability. Personal accountability, and you could write this down, and if you're a man here that struggles, if you're a man here that, you're, again, you know what? Some, some of you men may have struggled for a long time, and your pastor doesn't know you struggle. And you'll continue to struggle. You'll wake up in 15 years still struggling. The reason is this, because you won't humble yourself to go get help with the man that God has brought here. He has not told me to say this. We haven't had any type of nuance that he needed me to, you know, hinted at me to say something like this. But he's a man of God. He didn't call himself here. God put him here. God put you here. He can help you. There's other godly men in this church that can help you. But if you won't go to someone to get help, that's because of pride. You want to keep your image because you're a deacon or because, you know, you've been saved for a long time or you were one of the early people in the church here, or you're a you know, successful businessman or whatever it is. Fact is, it doesn't matter. It doesn't mean if, matter if you sing in the choir. Could you, you could be the best soloist in the church, the best pianist in the church. It doesn't really matter. you got to go and say, I need some help. And if you don't do that, your pride will lead to further falling. Personal accountability. That means you have to go to someone and come clean. If you stay isolated, you will drift. All right? All right. The overall goal in getting out of besetting sin is this. Just a pause here. It's, he wants to free us from sin. He wants to free us from ourselves, which is deeper than sin. He develops in us a real desire for the things of God and restores us to daily joy in Jesus. We don't have a lot of joy in Jesus uh, these days, it seems like, and that's what God has a bigger goal. All right. Number five, determine cleaning out. I know this is a lot here. Determine cleaning out of seven areas. I would encourage you at the end of this message, maybe just to pick out one or two points. Cleaning of seven life areas. All right? Seven life areas. Number one is you're going to have to deal with, and again, guys who are struggling with the sexual sin, this will help them. You're going to have to deal with, deal with the heart loves. The heart loves. The heart loves. There are things that you're going to love deep inside. God's going to want to help you with that, but only God can get to the heart. Letter B, the habits. The habits. What I call these are the well-trodden paths to defeat. As I mentioned this week at camp, guys are 69, 62% of the time, when they fall into sin, it's, it's on this thing right here. Okay? If a guy would just marginalize this, if a guy would just marginalize this, he's going to see tremendous strides forward. Just this. But you've got to be willing to depart with what we feel is almost like our third appendage a third arm that we can't get by without. So you've got to deal with the, the habit of staying up late, surfing the Internet alone, this type of thing. Next point is uh, letter C, the honey spots. The honey spots. Where are you finding the honey that has been so sweet to you? In other words, a, a man struggling or a woman struggling with sexual sin, they keep going back to the same area, okay? They keep going back to the same area. 
certain websites, certain literature, uh, you know, if it's, if it's a habit with a person, uh, the same person, you know, um, unwise talks with that person and, and things like this, okay? This is where, where you find in the, that which has been so um, sweet to you. Proverbs 9, 17, stolen waters are sweet. This is where you find the jackpot. Where is that? Then letter E, or letter D, the home, the home. You're going to have to look at your home. How is my home hurting me? The things in my home. This would be, you can see almost this almost means like a, a college level, some of this. Um, the, the home, it could break down this way. Um, personal dangers that you have at home, like your room, for instance. If you're a teenage boy, maybe your room is just a trap for you. You get in there and, you know, and, and, uh, and you know, you listen to the wrong music or you're watching the wrong things or whatever. Hopefully you don't have your own access to the internet in there. But in your home, it could be this, these uh, dangers that you know there. But also when I talk about the home, it could be family sins. Family sins. Do you know that, unfortunately, in our Christian world, there are family sins? There are things that the family does as a, as a unit that the dad allowed in years ago or some unwise, you know, certain material, certain viewing, certain, you know. By the way, can I say this? Um, I, you know, we've been joking all week about your pastor saying, Lord willing, Dave will be back here Wednesday or Sunday. Um, you know, so after I say this, we know what the Lord willing is going to mean. Uh, it means I probably won't be coming back. But, man, can I say this, that if there is unwise entertainments and uh, movies and stuff in your house, you know who it all goes back to? It goes back to you. you if you have, like, large screen, you know, uh, you know, 96-inch screen TV and surround sound and, and everything's all wired up, that's not because your wife wanted it. Prove me wrong. Your wife never said, you know what, Best Buy? Best Buy. The Friday after Thanksgiving, they're just giving away, they're just giving away the electronics. Practically. We can load up the church's van and we can bring home upgraded computers that we can game all day. Maybe we'll be killing aliens all day long. And we can have one out in the, in the garage. And honey, why don't you set up something called uh, a man cave? I've never heard of that before, but why don't you do like a man cave thing? And I'll have a woman cave and kids will have a kid cave. And, and uh, you know, this, none of this was a wife's idea. A wife never begs to get upgraded computer for gaming. She never begs to get the bigger screen, the better surround sound. I know I won't be back, but it was nice knowing you while I was here, okay? <laughs> Just saying, okay? You got to realize the home has dangers, and sometimes family sins are part of this. Worldliness is in the home is handed down from generation to generation. Think about the nurturing that goes on by the world in our homes. Don't forget that some of the sins in the Bible were because the sin, they called the sins of the fathers. Why they call it that, not the sins of the mothers. Letter F, letter E, the hostile past. The hostile past. This is maybe your home life when you're growing up. This would be your history. If you had a, a history that was rough and it's maybe led you to be, to, you know, setting you up for failure now, you need to come to God and say, God, I mean, you know, these are wounds from the past perhaps. Letter F, the hold of Hollywood. The hold of Hollywood. Letter G, the hindrance of friends. We're almost done. Deliberate action against threats. What are some deliberate actions against threats? And the reason I mentioned the hindrance of friends, because sometimes people who struggle with things, th their friend, their peer group is like, hey, don't, you know, don't get too serious about God, you know, and it, they can hold us back from breaking free and saying, no, I want to live for God, but my friend, my peer group is not good, even in church. Number six, deliberate action against threats. A couple threats you need to take uh, seriously and take action against. The obvious and the historical threats. These would be personal triggers. By the way, you can write down 2 Chronicles 34.3. 2 Chronicles 34.3, it talks about, in the eighth year of his reign, Josiah, when he was yet young, he began to seek after God of David, his father, and in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places and the groves and the carved images and the molten images, okay? Um, you're going to have to take action against threats. Josiah was not just right with God in some general way. He actually began to deal with the high places. All right. What are some obvious threats to you? You got to look at this. Romans 13, 14, but put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. All right? The Satan's glad if you make provision for the flesh yourself and you don't have to do much. Places, 
provocative material. These can all be personal triggers, letter A, personal triggers. We'll know what, you'll know what your triggers are. Letter B, the internet. The internet. All things internet enabled if this has been a problem. Got to deal with personal triggers, places like bookstores, provocative material, um, the internet. Someone has said this, you might want to write this down. In fact, it's, it's right there in the bold. In sexual sin, porn is the drug, the internet is the dealer. Isn't that good? We, we think the, the problem is, you know, but the drug, but the, the internet is the dealer of it. Letter C, the world. You have to take some uh, action against threats in the world delivered to us as pop culture. The world will deliver a lot of things to us as pop culture that is just not right. You've got to think about if it's okay for God's name to be taken in vain uh, in your presence. If I was saying it, you wouldn't have me here. You'd walk out if I said it and someone else didn't take action. If I said God's name in vain three times when I was standing up here, that would be considered blasphemy, but you'd probably walk out if your pastor didn't do something about it. But if you've watched the latest Avenger movies, you're hearing it all the time. You say, well, yeah, but they're so cool. Like, they save the world, like, every time a new movie comes out. I get it. But if they take God's name in vain, maybe you just need to pass that one. Sorry? <laughs> yes. I've had the bar of soap. I kept those people in business for a while. Letter f number seven, dependent looking or running to Jesus. A dependent action of looking and running to Jesus. This is abiding in Jesus. This is minute by minute stuff. You hear this, you talk about it, we, we know about it. But this is not just a matter of God's not just asking us to obey, he's asking us to abide. And there is something different there. It's beyond just obedience. It's the thing that leads to obedience. We are dependent for obedience. On the back page, we mentioned a couple of verses here, John 15, 3 to 5. But the verse I want to take you to, Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. We talked about that this week. And as we close, it does say lay aside every weight. And it does say lay aside the sin and run. You can't run with weights and you can't run with sin. And my friends, you may, you may land a different place than what I do when it comes to technology or with entertainment and stuff like that. It's not my job to tell you what to do. But what I'm saying is, if I'm going to win the race, like we talked about at camp, run the race and get that well done, the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, that Paul says, I have fought the fight, I have finished my course, we want to finish our course, and one of the things that's going to keep us down is sin, and the other thing is weights. And I had to realize years ago that TV to me was a weight. It may not be to everybody, but I had to say, years before I ever met Sonia, I'll never have a TV in my house. That doesn't mean you have to do that, but that's what I had to do because I was watching all the wrong stuff. Other people just waste time with it. But you've got to decide what you're going to do regularly abiding in Jesus moment by moment, minute by minute. Psalm 22, 123, 2, second verse down there. But as behold, his eyes of service look to the hand of the masters, and as the eyes of a maiden under the hand of her mistress, so our eyes wait upon the Lord our God until he have mercy upon us. Second Chronicles 20, 12, for we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. It's all this a matter of looking to God Steve Currington has said, the secret to the victorious Christian life is the victorious Christ living inside of you. What should you do next? You must take determined action against sin, and now is the time. Your pastor and I were talking, and God just kind of brought us together that I would try to share with you some things about how to break free. I would encourage you to take that little piece of paper that you have, and maybe circle one or two things that maybe God spoke to you about that you could begin. You can't do all 27,000 things on there, but you can begin to look at one or two and say, where am I in the roadmap to breaking free? Look at it in relationship to your teenagers or your children or someone you're concerned about that's caught in the world, and then begin to start praying for them about their, God bringing them to a place of desperate need. Would that be a good place to start? How desperate are we? Let's pray together, if you would, please.
Father, we thank you, Lord, for this church who cares about righteousness, cares about holiness, cares about your hand of blessing on their life and on their church. Lord, I pray that things we said today would help somebody to just say, you know what, that's, that's definitely something I need to look at. The world's not getting better, Lord, it's getting worse. We can't be right in stride with it. We have to begin to look at the things around us and the things within us and then go to the one above us to do for us what we absolutely cannot do for ourselves. Completely unable. You made us unable to live the Christian life, but there is someone who is able, who's never lost a battle. With your head bowed and eyes closed, would you just for a moment talk to the Lord? Did the Lord say something to you at all? You may have agreed with me on stuff, not agreed with me on things. It doesn't really matter. Did God speak to you about something? You came to hear something. Why don't you talk to the Lord for a moment? The pianist can play softly. Just talk to the Lord for a moment. Any adjustment you need to make? You need to ask God to bring into place a desperate need about your sin. There's some cleaning out that needs to be done. here would say, Brother Brady, would you pray for me? God has spoken to me about one area tonight. I appreciate prayer. I would just do the next thing. Could you slip your hand up? Could I pray for you? God bless you. God bless you. Amen.